0: Today we're continuing our series through the Gospel of John and our introduction video reminds us not only of the title of the series but of the theme, that we can have life in Jesus' name. That's why, G- that's why John wrote the book, that by believing in him we could have life in Jesus' name. And in other words, belief is a really important part of the Gospel of John. It's a big part of why he writes. In fact, the verb to believe is used 11 times in Mark. 14 times in Matthew, 9 times in Luke, but John uses it 98 times. Now that's not to say that belief as an action was not important to the other gospel writers. It's just to point out how important, how central an idea it was for the gospel of John. And the passage we come to this morning adds to our understanding of what it actually means to believe. What does it mean to have faith in Jesus? What does it mean to believe Jesus, And it also points out some potential roadblocks to belief, some hindrances. So to get you up to speed about where we've been, where we're at, Jesus left the southern part of Israel, known as Judea, where he had encountered a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he famously told Nicodemus, You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And he said to him, these famous words from John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. And he passed through Samaria, where last week we talked about he met the woman at the well, offered her living water that could satisfy her like nothing she'd tried before ever could, and he revealed to her and to those in her village that he was the Messiah, and many of them came to believe that he was the Savior, and he is the Savior of the world. Now he's heading back north toward his home region called Galilee, uh, and he's going to be in northern Israel. We're going to pick up the story in John chapter 4, verses 43 through 45. It says this. After the two days, the two days he spent in Samaria, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast, that is, to the Passover. It seems like we're getting ready for a little bit of opposition here. Jesus says that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown, and yet when Jesus gets to Galilee, the Galileans, it says, Welcomed him. So, what's up with that? Well, notice two things about this welcome. First, they welcome him because they saw all he had done in Jerusalem. Look back at John chapter 2, 23 through 25, where we read about this. It says, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. That sounds good. Many people are believing in Jesus. But note the next verse. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself, that's the same word for believe, Jesus did not believe in them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus had done a lot of works in Jerusalem, maybe miracles and signs, many people had believed in him, but it appears that that belief was somehow deficient because Jesus didn't believe in them. And now it's some of those same people who are welcoming him into Galilee. Second, we'll read later in John chapter 6 that after people are still seeking signs from Jesus, after he has multiplied bread and they come to him, they want more to eat, they're just seeking signs and he tells them that they're not seeking him, the real bread that comes down from heaven. And it says that many of his disciples left him. In other words, he was no longer welcome. And so, yeah, they welcomed him, but the question is, what kind of welcome? They believed in him, the question is, what kind of belief? So, while in Galilee, the Galilee did offer him a, a welcome, it was superficial. It wasn't to honor him for who he really was. Instead, they received him like people receive a rich person or a politician. You, you whine and dine, you schmooze them because you're trying to get something out of them. You want something from them. And the immediate story of what Jesus did when he got to Galilee illustrates this. Verse 46 says, So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. John reminds us that Jesus had done something incredible in this region already in Cana. That sign was a revelation that Jesus had come to surpass all the rituals and customs and purity of the Jewish people. And while he was in Cana, an official traveled from Capernaum to see him. The Greek word for official here probably indicates that this was uh, one of Herod Antipas's servants, or he was in the service of Herod Antipas. And so he was a relatively important person politically in the region. Probably he was used to getting what he wanted. And you can tell that this man was desperate by how far he traveled. This was before planes, trains, and automobiles. And Cana was about 20 miles over the hills from Capernaum. His son was very sick. Verses 47 to 48 continue. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? This is not the nice Jesus that we've come to know and love. I should say that in verse 48 You is plural. Jesus wasn't just talking to this man. He was talking to everyone present who could hear him. He's saying, all of you won't won't believe in me unless you see signs and wonders. He's addressing the general attitude of the Galilean people. In spite of the fact that they had already seen and heard what he had done in Jerusalem, they wanted more. The Samaritans apparently had believed without such signs. It says many of them believed, and it doesn't say Jesus did any signs. Sure, he told the woman what she had done previously in her life, but they came and said to her, we no longer believe because of what you said. We now believe on our own that this is the Savior of the world. So they received Jesus, but the Galileans are having a hard time without additional signs. Notice that John typically calls miracles signs. We've already seen how Jesus turned water into wine. John called it a sign. A sign is something that points to something. And in this case, signs point to who Jesus is and what he's done, how we ought to believe in him. But here, Jesus himself notes that they wanted signs and wonders. They wanted to be amazed They wanted their their fancy tickled, so to speak. They wanted to, to be in awe. They wanted to be thrilled. They wanted Jesus to meet their own expectations. They had the kind of faith that separates signs from the Savior, and that was exemplified in this man who came to ask Jesus to heal his son. The man was persistent. He kept asking. In fact, his asking almost rises to the level of a demand, Even after Jesus checks his motives, the man insists, in verse 49, the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. This is a plea, yes, but it's also pretty demanding. Like I said earlier, this man was probably used to getting what he wanted, and he insists on Jesus doing what he wants. And that seems understandable under the circumstances. His son is dying. We can all relate to how he is probably feeling. And Jesus' response seems like he gives the man what he wanted. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. Like I said, it seems as if Jesus gives the man what the man wants, what he demanded. But did he? In the form of a command, or at least a strong plea, the man said to Jesus, you come down. Jesus, in the same form of command, looks at him and says, you go. He's commanding Jesus, and Jesus turns around and commands him. Yeah, so what? He still got what he wanted, right? Sort of, but he didn't get it on his terms. Bible teacher Gary Burge helps us understand the importance of this when he writes, the royal official sought a miracle. Jesus placed himself between the request and the healing so that the man had to act in faith and walk home without the thing he wanted. What did he want? You come down, right? That's what he demanded. Jesus says, no, you go. He had to decide if he would trust Jesus, not simply bring him and his reputation to Capernaum. Now this may sound like a subtle difference, but I think it's an important one to which we're going to return. But for now, I want you to think about this as we continue with this story. Think about this. Christians don't have faith in faith. They have faith in Jesus. Christians don't have faith in faith. They have faith In Jesus, the man believed Jesus, and it seems like something new is happening in him. Jesus said in verse 48, you will not believe unless you see signs and wonders. But now the man heads home. Notice it says he believed. Has he seen any signs or wonders? No, something has changed in the man. Now he believes Jesus' word and trusts him. And this is so important for us. Again, we'll come back to this in a moment, but the nature of faith that is growing is that it believes Jesus' word. I mean, for us, we're headed somewhere too, aren't we? Jesus has called us, he has commanded us, and we're headed somewhere. We're headed where we could call home, we're headed to heaven, we're headed to eternal life, but we're not there yet, are we? And you haven't seen it yet. You've not seen the resurrection. And so what are you doing as you travel through life? You are listening to a command of Jesus. If you're faithful to him, you're listening to a command of Jesus where he says, come and follow me. Where he says, go, head home, and you are having to just listen to his word by faith. You've not yet realized the fullness of salvation, but the nature of faith in Jesus is believing and obeying him at his word let's read the end of the story it says as he was going down his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering so he asked them the hour when he began to get better and they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him the father knew that this was the hour when jesus had said to him your son will live and he himself believed and all his household this was now the second sign that jesus did when he had come from judea to galilee the man's son was healed But there's something curious about verse 53. It says that the man believed and also his household. Believed what? He'd already believed the word of Jesus, so it can't be that. The miracle has already happened, so he's not believing for a miracle. He had already trusted Jesus to do it, and it had been done, so what's he believing now? The man now believes Jesus. The man trusted Jesus, period, full stop, nothing else. He now, knows, he now knows that Jesus is more than a miracle worker. He's more than a way for us to get what we want. He is the word of God. The man was no longer believing for something. He was now believing in someone. John said that this is the second sign Jesus did. The first was turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana. John wants us to know that this miracle says something significant. Jesus had done other miracles. John didn't call them all signs. And so if he calls this one a sign, it means there's something important. This is kind of the forgotten half of John chapter 4. I mean, the, the woman at the well, we all know that story. This is sort of a pedantic run-of-the-mill miracle for Jesus. This isn't like walking on water or, you know, multiplying bread or something really cool like raising Lazarus from the dead. This isn't one of the big cool miracles, and yet John calls this one a sign that means he wants us to understand there's something really important that we're supposed to understand from this particular teaching and miracle of Jesus that tells us about the nature of faith and belief. Did you know that you can believe in Jesus in different ways? After 9/11 in the days following the attacks on the World Trade Center, there was reportedly an upswing in church attendance. In fact, the National Institute of Health still says on its website that there was an upswing of about 6% in church attendance the following weekend and the weeks following, which is a pretty big sudden swing across the entire United States for 6% to come in. And some other polls taken indicate that many people claimed to be turning to God and to prayer following that attack. I remember this being a very big deal at the time. Churches were talking about revival and things happening. And I'm not saying that it was bad, but by November, church attendance had returned to exactly where it was before the Trade Center was attacked. And there really is not a discernible lingering effect on the spirituality of American culture. People were desperate, so they looked for something to believe in, something that would comfort them, something that would give them what they wanted. And for some, this changed their lives. But for most, it didn't. Most did not heed the call of Christ when they went to church to believe in him. Most did not heed the call of the gospel. Most heard God's word but decided not to obey. They were willing to welcome Jesus like the Galileans welcomed him on their own terms. But as with the Galileans in John 4, that welcome didn't last for very long. And this kind of belief in Jesus is still very prevalent. You still see people who will come to church or turn to prayer in moments of desperation, come to Jesus when they're in trouble, cry out to God when they're hurting, but when things get better or if he doesn't meet their expectations, they are soon nowhere to be found. They welcome Jesus, but they only welcome him on their terms or as a last resort. But this passage from John gives us a new perspective on faith and what it means to welcome Jesus and to believe in him. It provides a warning to us, as well as an encouragement to our faith. You can welcome Jesus. Let's consider the warning about this first. Your faith shouldn't be in faith. As I noted earlier, Jesus' response when the desperate father had come to him and to demand his help, it seems a bit harsh. We would probably, if Jesus responded this way, if somebody came for help and, and he said, you won't believe unless you, know, you see signs and wonders. If, if somebody like a, a deacon or a pastor in a church, somebody came to them with a need and they said, you won't believe unless we offer you some kind of physical help, will you? We would, we would lose our minds because that's not nice. We would say, this isn't the time to be teaching spiritual lessons. Can't you see the person is hurting? But then we're not the savior of the world And though Jesus cares about our pain, to be honest, he also has bigger concerns, like the salvation of the world. And I wonder if sometimes we think of Jesus a little bit too much like a teddy bear. In fact, I brought a helper this morning. I'm sorry for those of you who are online. I'll I'll reappear in in just one second with my helper. This is my helper. This is our Bethany Blue Bear. We pass this helper around at our staff meetings as a way of just kind of Uh, in a a funny sense, showing honor to people who've worked hard during the week. And so uh, this is my helper, the, the Bethany Blue Bear. And I wonder if sometimes we think of Jesus a little bit like a teddy bear. He's fuzzy, he's comforting, and this bear doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what you've done wrong. He makes a really great imaginary friend. You can tell him whatever secrets you want, and he will just listen to you. You can imagine him affirming you and your opinions and your preferences. You can hug him as tight as you want, and guess what? He conforms to you. I don't have to conform to him. He conforms to me. He will never, ever attempt to convict me, to correct me, to point out where I'm wrong. He will never call on me to repent. You trust the bear because the bear is just simply projection of what you want. And I wonder if sometimes we do this with Jesus. We make Jesus a fuzzy teddy bear because we project onto him simply what we want. But Jesus isn't a teddy bear and he's not an imaginary friend. He's real. And so sometimes when you come to him, he doesn't feel very fuzzy. Sometimes when you come to him, he corrects. And that doesn't feel as good. Sometimes he doesn't tell you what you want to hear. Sometimes he tells you what you need to hear. Sometimes he doesn't give you what you want, and that's uncomfortable. But isn't that what you would expect since you're not coming to a teddy bear, you're coming to God? Why do we suppose that God will treat us like an imaginary friend, and then we reject him when he doesn't treat us like an imaginary friend? Jesus is not some bland, generic thing that you can project your wishes and your wants and your desires onto. He is the eternal word of God. And as such, what we need is not to project ourselves onto him, we need to listen to what he says and obey. And that is why, as the late general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, George Wood put it, and I shared with you earlier, we don't have faith in faith. Faith in faith is just a projection of what I want. We have faith in Jesus. A real person who's really there, who has real opinions and will give us real correction. Faith in faith is what prosperity gospel teaches you. It presents you a teddy bear Jesus who can be manipulated by your wants, and as long as you get the words right to your prayers, he'll give those wants to you. It's the kind of faith that the cricket in Pinocchio sings about, that if you wish upon a star, it doesn't matter who you are, everything your heart desires will come to you. And this is just a subtle form of Christian idolatry. It's the substitution of the eternal God who created all things, knows all things, is over all things, and holds all things together with what I want. I just substitute what I want for the eternal God. And so we see in this story something far more beautiful, someone far more beautiful and merciful than we expected. The father desperately comes to Jesus and says, come down, and though he corrects him and everyone else who is listening, he still doesn't reject him. The father says, come down. Jesus says, go, your son will live. He doesn't just give him what he wants. Jesus mercifully gives him more than he asked for. He not only healed his son, Jesus revealed who he was so that his, this man and his whole family and household could really believe and be saved. He came to save his son and his whole household was saved because Jesus corrected him and the man believed Christians, we need to remember that Jesus is not one of us. We're one of his. Just because we identify with him does not mean he approves of us. He can't be used to validate our lives and our claims. Instead, he makes demands on our lives. He demands that we believe in him, not just in what he can do for us. We can't presume upon Jesus. Are you coming to Jesus to find out what he wants or do you just come to demand what you want? I'm not saying that you shouldn't bring your needs and hurts to Jesus, not at all. You should bring your needs and hurts to Jesus. I'm saying bring your hurts and your needs and your pain and your desperation to Jesus, not to some imaginary friend. Bring them to Jesus who may indeed correct you and convict you, but at least he's real and he loves you not just giving you what you want, but what you need. I'm not saying that you, you, you shouldn't bring your desperation to Jesus, or even if that's the last thing you've got is desperation and you failed to turn to, to him before, that you shouldn't come. By all means, still come to Jesus, but be prepared to meet someone who will not be easily conformed to your wants and your desires. Come to him to find out what he wants, not just tell him what you want Remember when you come to him that he's Lord. So maybe we could ask things like this. Are you digging into his word to find out who he is and what he wants for your life? Are you spending time in prayer in his presence, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit through his word as he, and as he lives and works in you so that you can discern his will and his desires? If you're not yet a believer in Jesus or maybe you've been coming to church for a while but you've never actually placed your faith in Christ and, and you're, you're looking for something, if you're looking for someone to affirm what you think, what you want, you're not going to find that in Jesus. And I hope you don't find it here at our church. But if you are looking for someone who can offer you salvation and forgiveness and mercy and grace and freedom and direction, Jesus has more than enough of that. Either way, Don't have faith in faith. Have faith in Jesus. It's a wonder to me that Jesus does not despise even crude faith. We come to him with all kinds of mixed motives, don't we? We come to him with all kinds of confused thoughts and mustard seed size faith. And rather than rejecting us, he leads us and he encourages us to grow. And if we're willing, we'll grow. I appreciate how C.S. Lewis expressed this idea in his book, The Problem of Pain. He wrote, I call this a divine humility because it is a poor thing to strike our colors to God when the ship is going down under us. A poor thing to come to him as a last resort, to offer up our own when it is no longer worth keeping. If God were proud, he would hardly have us on such terms. But he is not proud He stoops to conquer. He will have us even though we have shown that we prefer everything else to him and come to him because there's nothing better now to be had. That same humility is shown by all those divine appeals to our fears which trouble high-minded readers of Scripture. It is hardly complimentary to God that we should choose him as an alternative to hell. Yet even this he accepts. The creature's illusion to self-sufficiency must, for the creature's sake, be shattered. And by trouble or fear of trouble on earth, by crude fear of eternal flames, God shatters it, unmindful of his glory's diminution. Those who would like the God of Scripture to be more purely ethical do not know what they ask. God receives the small, unrefined faith we bring him, and he begins to refine it. He begins to grow our faith. Jesus wants your faith to grow. Your trust in Jesus should be increasing. Note how the father's faith grows through this encounter with Jesus. He had some kind of raw, simple faith that Jesus could do miracles if Jesus would just come down and heal his son, even if he didn't really believe much about Jesus himself. Then, Jesus challenges him to believe not on his own terms, but to believe on Jesus' own terms, to believe Jesus' word. He tells him, go down, and the man believes his word and goes. Verse 50 says, the man believed. His faith is growing. Now, he doesn't believe only if Jesus does it his own way. He now believes Jesus can do it Jesus' own way. He believes Jesus' word. And when he finds out that his son is healed, he confirms at what time, and he discovers it was at the exact moment Jesus said, your son will live. And verse 53 again says, and he himself believed and all his household this can't mean he believed for a miracle. As we said earlier, the miracle was already done. It has to go beyond that. Now he doesn't just believe for a miracle, he believed in the person behind the miracle. He believed in Jesus and so did everyone in his household. Everybody who his influence touched, his his extended family, his servants, those who he served alongside in Herod's household, they came to faith. Seeing that he was one of Herod's officials, this was probably not a small group of people who believed, but a fairly large group, and he now sees Jesus is not just a miracle worker, he's the Savior. Jesus wants your faith to grow as well. He wants to move you from glory to glory, to know him more and more, to trust him more. And early in this week, I was wrestling with how do you how do you talk about growing faith in a, in a way that is clear and is practical? Like what does it look like when a person's Faith is, is growing, and then Wednesday evening rolled around, and I love it when I'm studying a passage of scripture and through a worship song or through a passage of scripture or a teaching of another pastor. It helps me to grasp what I'm wrestling with, and it's like a light bulb goes off, and I had one of those on Wednesday night. I want to pause here and say this. If you're not coming on Wednesday night to prayer meeting, you're missing out. I would just encourage you to come to Wednesday evening prayer meeting. We have time of lingering in God's presence, waiting on the Lord, praying for one another, hearing God's word. It's a core part of what we do as a church to be in prayer together. It's not like a side note that we pray prayer is central to what the church does and I'd encourage you be here on Wednesday I think it'll be a blessing to you make it a regular part of your week this past Wednesday pastor Ken Milton brought a fantastic word from Philippians 2:19 to 24 and he focused on verse 21 where it says this for they all seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ and it hit me that's what growing faith looks like Growing faith looks like when I start not to seek my interests, but what interests Jesus? What are Jesus' concerns in this situation? Not what does Stephen want, but what does Jesus want? When I begin to lose interest in myself and my interest in Christ and what he wants grows, then I know my faith is growing because I'm not trusting Jesus for what he could do to fulfill my wants. Now I'm trusting Jesus wants things that are better than what Stephen wants. And so when my interest in Jesus increases, I know my faith is growing, but it's easy, almost natural and unnoticed for us to slip into making faith about our own interests, isn't it? Sometimes people claim the name of Jesus or the title Christian. It's just a way to, to like boost their own opinion or to claim that my opinion is right, whether it's the real opinion of Jesus or not. We know politicians do this all the time. They slap labels of Christian, and, and they, they have evangelicals come and pray prayers so that everybody else goes, ooh, they must be a Christian, so that we all think that because they used a name or a title, it, it, it's, all about, it's all about Jesus, when in reality, their welcome wears out rather quickly. But growing faith is increasingly more interested in Jesus than it is in itself. A person whose faith is growing will be increasingly more focused on Jesus' interests rather than on their own. It becomes about his word, not their demands. It becomes about his desires, not their wants. It's faith that migrates from Jesus accomplishing what I want Jesus to accomplishing what Jesus wants. Faith that moves from I want Jesus to accomplish what Stephen wants to faith that is saying I want Jesus to accomplish what Jesus wants. Growing faith is faith that is moving from hoping that I get my way to trusting Jesus' way of doing things. Is your faith growing by this measure? Is it belief that gets life from Jesus rather than asking Jesus to fit into your life? Is it faith that is getting stronger Faith isn't just a one and done thing, you know. It's not I prayed that prayer one Sunday morning and, and it's, it's all done. Think of Jesus' own disciples. Think of especially Peter and Thomas. These are men of genuine faith. They left their lives, their livelihood to follow Jesus. There is no doubt their faith was sincere. And yet... Peter's faith failed and he denies Jesus. Thomas says, I won't believe the resurrection until I can see it with my own eyes and touch his resurrected body with its scars with my own hands. But when Jesus heard this kind of demand for faith, notice, he doesn't reject Peter. He doesn't reject Thomas, but he does challenge their faith to grow. You remember what he said to Thomas? Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Faith is not a monolithic one and done experience. It is ongoing. It is active trust in Jesus. And thankfully, he's merciful to us. He's gracious. And one of Jesus' primary interests, this is good news, right? When 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 we're growing in our faith, we want to become interested in what Jesus is interested in, right? One of Jesus' primary interests is that you would grow in your faith. He's concerned about that. He wants you to be growing in your faith. So the question is very simple. Is your faith growing by this measure? Are you listening to the word of God and the Holy Spirit as he leads you and walking in obedience? Are Are you doing what Jesus wants rather than what you want? When you become aware in those moments of conviction, when the Holy Spirit speaks to your conscience and you know, God wants me to do this, but I sure want to do this. Are you growing in your faith and saying, I'm gonna do it Jesus way because I believe what Jesus wants is even better than what I want. Is your faith more than your church attendance? Are you actively living for Christ? Can you think of a recent example of how you are learning to trust Jesus more or how you are becoming more interested in what interests Jesus? If not... I'm not suggesting your faith isn't real any more than Peter or Thomas' faith wasn't real. I'm not suggesting you don't have real saving faith in Jesus. All I want to do is challenge you to re-engage your faith in Jesus, to be a living, growing faith in a Jesus who is alive. He's not dead. When Jesus returned to Galilee, he was welcomed, but only on the terms the Galileans wanted When they realized that they wouldn't be able to get out of him what they wanted, his welcome quickly wore thin. But those who did receive him, those who believed in his name, like this man and his household, he gave to them, as John says in John 1, the right to become children of God. This man came to save his son. He ended up with his whole household becoming children, that is in Greek, sons, of God. How incredible is it how Jesus helps us to grow in our faith? Maybe you're here and you don't have any real faith in Jesus. You've not really given your life to Him. And it could be that you even raised your hand at one time. Maybe you were baptized as an infant or something like that. Maybe you grew up in the church and so you just kind of thought, well, you know, I'm Christian, my family's Christian, everybody, everybody's Christian, right? And, and so you just kind of assume, like, I, yeah, I, get, I mean, I've got faith in Jesus. But your faith in Jesus has really only consisted of a few moments of desperation in your life. Maybe once a week attendance or less, once a month, once every couple of years you've attended. And you think, well, I've got some kind of faith. I, I believe in God. But your faith is not at all like what Jesus challenged this man toward in the passage today. A faith that is not, I come to Jesus and he should give me what I want and then I'll believe in him. But a faith that comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I believe that your way is better. Because you know why Jesus' way is better? You know why you should come to him and trust him? Because he died for you. Listen, I can't answer every question in your life. I don't know how to respond to every hurt. And I know that there are questions you're asking. Why did this happen? And I don't have the answer. I know this though. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. And while I can't give you the why, I can tell you this, when when I don't know the answer, Jesus is still there. And I can tell you this, Jesus is the answer. He may not tell you why, but he will be there for you. And he will not leave you where you are, he will challenge you in growth to know God He'll give you peace that passes understanding, mercy that's new every morning. He'll forgive your sins, wash you, and make you clean. This is why you don't come to Jesus for what you want. You come to him for what he wants because nobody comes to Jesus and says, and naturally, just naturally of themselves without God drawing them, without hearing the gospel, nobody comes and says, God, I'm, 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 I'm far from you. I've done evil and wrong. I've sinned, and I need your forgiveness. None of us are inclined toward that. But that's the gospel. The good news is you've done wrong. You're separated from God. But God wants something different than you wanted. That's the good news, that God does not want what you want. Because sin tells us you don't want God. Sin tells me that in my natural state, when I was far from God, I didn't want him. And you don't either. But the good news is God doesn't want what you want. He wants something better than you want. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be saved. He wants your sins to be forgiven. He wants you to be right with Him. And so today, I'm not asking you to come to a God who will conform to you like some kind of teddy bear and give you a nice hug. Yeah, I I imagine it'll feel good when your sin is lifted off of your shoulder. It sure will. But He will not conform to you. He invites you to come and conform your life to Him. And that starts at the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible says this, that if any man is in Christ, if any woman is in Christ, that person is a new creation. You know what that means? It means you come to Jesus through the cross. You come and say, Jesus, I believe you died for me, and today I need to die with you to my sin. It means you come and you say, Jesus, I believe that though you died, God raised you from the dead, and I need new life in you, life that I can't have on my own. And if you'll do that, if you'll come with that kind of faith, faith that doesn't ask Jesus to conform to you, but faith that says, I conform to him, you will be saved. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? If that's you, you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, you've never come to him with faith that says, I'm giving my life to him, I'm conforming my life to Jesus, I need him, I need what he wants, not what I want. I wanna invite you to do that today. It doesn't happen just because you raise a hand one time or you pray a prayer, but those are ways that that we wanna help you to address yourself to God, to, to come to him and express your want and your desire to know him today. If that's you, you don't have a relationship with God through genuine faith in Jesus and you'd like to begin that relationship today, would you just lift up your hand so that I can pray with you in a moment? Is there anybody like that? You don't have that relationship with God that says, I'm not coming to ask God to give me what I want. I'm coming because I know he has better wants than I have. Is there anybody like that? I'm gonna wait just a moment. If you've joined us online and you wanna respond, please text the word HOPE to 413-360-61. We'll respond. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you, miss. Is there anybody else? You don't have that relationship with God. You want to start that today. We're going to pray. My words can't save you. They're just words that will help you express your own personal faith in Jesus. So as I pray, would you do this? You pray. You make this prayer your own. Pray in your heart. Pray out loud. But you cry out to Jesus. Ask him for for his forgiveness. Ask him for new life in him, and he will give it. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you, and we thank you so much for the eternal life you offer through your son. We thank you, Lord, that you want something better than what we want. Your word says that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than anything that has come before. And so today, Lord, I thank you for those that are responding. I pray, Jesus, that you'd minister in their lives. Jesus, today, as they confess that they're far from you, that they've sinned against you, and that they need your forgiveness, I ask that you truly would come in cover their sin, cleanse them, and let them know today that they don't walk out in shame, but whole. Lord, I pray that as they come to you and they say, I need new life, I pray that they would leave new creations in Christ Jesus, the old being gone and what's new, what's come through Jesus, entering their lives and making them new. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you love us at the cost of your son, Jesus. We thank you that we have new life in him, It's in his name we pray and we believe. Amen. Amen. Prayer partners, pastors, if you're here, would you quickly come? We're going to get ready to close. And congregation, if you would stand in a moment, if you raise your hand, I would invite you to come and speak to one of our prayer partners or pastors. They've got a book they'd like to give you, some information about how to keep growing in Jesus. And they'd love to pray with you just to help you get started. But for you, believer, as we pray and close out this service, if you're sensing the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart saying, you need a growing faith. Maybe your faith has become stagnant and cold. You keep coming to Jesus to express your wants, but never coming to him to ask him what he wants. I would invite you to come and find a place. This is, again, not the walk of shame. It's an opportunity for you to just get alone with God or get with a brother and sister in Christ and say, I want to grow in my faith. So if that's you, don't hesitate. Don't be afraid. Come and build an altar before the Lord and ask him to do a work in your life this morning. Heavenly Father, today we thank you so much that when we come to you, that you conform us. We thank you that when we come to Jesus, that we do not come to a teddy bear, but we come to a rock. We thank you that we come to someone on whom our lives can be built up. There's stability and there's truth there. And we pray, Lord, that as believers in Jesus, you would help us not to keep approaching you, expecting just the warm fuzzies, but that we would come asking what are your interests Jesus what do you desire what do you want and that we would conform our lives to those things help us Lord not to have faith in faith but to have genuine faith in Jesus who moves and works among us so that our faith can be growing and genuine we thank you Lord that you are working among us and we ask that you would help us to continually grow as we are looking to you the author and perfecter of our faith It's in Jesus' name we pray and we believe. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to seek the Lord for a few moments this morning, please come and do it. Otherwise, we will see you tonight as we continue in prayer. Until then, go in God's grace and in his peace.